Welcome to the Success Fundamentals Podcast, where we will be interviewing people who have reached greatness in their respective fields and get an insider's view on what it takes to get to the top. Our aim is to uncover their deepest motivations, beliefs, and methods to achieving success so we can all gain wisdom from their experiences. Please welcome your hosts, Christopher Sykes and Brian Goldsack. Welcome to another edition of Success Fundamentals. I'm your co-host, Chris Sykes. And I am Brian Goldsack. And, and today we have a um, very special guest on. We have Roby and Charles DeBeau. Um, Charles is the vice president of global development for the National Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, and Roby, t- t- tell us a little bit about what you do. So, yeah, um, my name is Roby Charles. I'm the VP of Partnerships at the American Dream Fund and Marketplace, which um, in sum is a economic development program, uh, you know, facilitated in partnership with the National Black Chamber. So very important awesome. audience, as as you can hear. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to get right into it. So, Charles, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you. So you've been with the National Black Chamber of Commerce for 20 years. Um, you worked your way up to being a vice president. So walk us through that journey and what and what initially um, sparked you to go down this path. Uh, the National Black Chamber of Commerce is actually founded and co-founded by my sister and her husband. And hmm. we oh, wow. initially all kind of were born or grew up in an entrepreneurial environment in Indianapolis, Indiana. My uh, grandfather, my maternal grandfather, uh, was a dentist and he put his kids in business. So some of them went into mortuary, uh, some of them were moving company, uh, some were lawyers, uh, a dentist, and uh, that was kind of like the environment we grew up in. And that was one of the first things you kind of notice. And this is back, you know, in the 50s and 60s and on through that, that there was a uh, black society uh, at default. And whether you were a minister or a doctor or the mortician or uh, the moving company, it was very much everybody knew knew each other. And you kind of noticed some people were more successful than others. Well, I went to uh, Indiana University. I um, was in the business school. I, I graduated with a degree in marketing from the Kelly School of Business. But my sister was a um, what they call a resident assistant, a person in a dorm that assists you. And so they reported to school about a week or two before all the other students. She saw an ad in the student newspaper and CBS Records was looking for a college rep. And I applied for it, I got the job, and it was sounding like one of my dreams was to figure out how in the world can I learn about the music business from Indiana (laughs) of all places. It wasn't New York, it wasn't uh, LA, and there wasn't any music industry to speak of, but I found it right by going down that path. And it was really pretty much natural or uh, organic. And uh, so I became a college rep, I graduated, I worked for CBS uh, for about 13 years. I was moving um, throughout the Midwest and working my way up from merchandising to promotion and marketing. I really um, had a firsthand uh, deep dive into consumer marketing with a product that had a very short lifespan. Uh, In those days, the record 
really was given a thumbs up or a thumbs down within the first six weeks of life. And as I went through that process, learned that I was really, I really got into it, but I love music anyway, and I love culture. And the, and I, I was fortunate by being a college rep, I repped anything and everything on the campus. And Indiana University had uh, the largest concert facility within the state at the time. It was Assembly Hall where they played the basketball games. So I had uh, artists like Vladimir Horwitz, who was classical pianist, to, um, country artists, to rock and roll. I mean, I one of the first groups I ever worked with was called Heart. And uh, Whoa, at the same time, Isley Brothers, Earth, Wind and Fire. Oh, no, uh, And even, yeah, and so, so I had all this to learn about everything. So you learn about PR, you learn about artist rep- representation, you learn about going to the radio station, getting the record played. I mean, and it was a crash course. At the same time, I also had a summer internship. So I went to the Los Angeles office and was able to work out of there as an internship. Well, um, after so many years of that, there was uh, the first Black Friday they had, and I found myself um, out of work uh, and I called up one of my buddies, and I had been in Detroit uh, for uh, right out of college. And I started, I had friends that were in the concert industry, and it just so happened that one of the artists they were about to take on tour was Prince. And uh, so Come the on. day I was fired oh, or let go from CBS because they were closing the office, I started working for Prince. So they, this, I was in Cincinnati at the time. They drove, were driving from Detroit down uh, I-75. We were going to uh, Florida or somewhere. They stopped, picked me up, and I started doing uh, advanced marketing promotion for Prince to set up his concert tours. And um, that carried on for a while oh, wow. and I ended up uh, back in the music industry uh, and I got a job as a national uh, director for marketing promotion for A&M Records and I moved to Los Angeles and um, I did that uh, probably right up until about uh, 91 and that's when gangster rap or hardcore rap music started to really uh, take root and the business model for uh, record industry, for the most part, changed around to where um, white kids were buying black music and they didn't need these big black staffs and things were being consolidated and changed. So I ended up, as they downsized at A&M, uh, I ended up starting my own consulting company and it basically was the same thing I'd always been doing, but just as kind of like an independent contractor. And by the time around 99 came, I did that probably for about 10 years, 99 came, I was just fed up. I was tired of it, Los Angeles. It's no fun to be in a sound like that if you don't have a clout or you don't have your T&E, your travel and entertainment, American Express card and all that. And it's no fun struggling. So I called up my sister and her husband and at, uh, in, in a parallel universe, so to speak, they had gone from uh, being involved with the uh, uh, governor, gubernatorial campaign of Evan Bayh. He won and he offered them jobs uh, for the people that worked in his campaign. And my brother-in-law, Harry Alford, was offered a job as uh, chief diversity procurement chief uh, for the state. And he did such a good job that he upset people (laughs) that were used to having 100% of a contract that now we're maybe getting 96% or 97% or 80%. 
uh, and and companies from all around the the country were coming to Indianapolis, where they were based, to learn about how do you do business. And this was pretty pretty much on the state level. Well, it went well, and ultimately they went uh, when the state said, you know, you're doing too good a job. You've upset too many people. There are some political uh, elements to this. So he left there, started the Hoosier Chamber of Commerce, and the Hoosier Chamber of Commerce evolved to where they said, well, now we need to go national because other people in other states want to do what we're doing. They went national, and uh, I called them up and said, hey, I really need a job. And they said, well, we've got plenty of work. And uh, come on in. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you have your passport? That was the first thing I said. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I got a passport. I had uh, been just from all the different crazy jobs and things I had been doing to survive uh, in those L.A. days. And so my first day on the work, I was on my way to Rio de Janeiro for a trade mission where we took about 80 businesses uh, to oh, wow. um, explore and meet and uh, try to understand on how we could partner and do business with um it was defaulted as black businesses, but once you get there, you find out you're dealing with the government and the uh, 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 buyers up for the supply. And so that was the beginning of this career that has evolved from uh, being focused on government contracting to expanding up that vertical totem pole to where we were dealing with large small businesses to Fortune 500, partnering with us, uh, branches of government. And then having uh, Fortune 500 as, as members and uh, sponsors and partners because they started to evolve around uh, this millennium, around 2000, with products that were intended to be applications for small business, but there was kind of like a growth or a, a, a filtering or purging process of that. So a, a short example, Oracle came out and said, oh, we're coming with a small business product. And we're like, oh, really? You know, tell us about it. How would a small business use your product? And it turned out it was $30,000 software that uh, had to do with uh, networking and administrative stuff. And we said, oh, yeah, that's fine. And, and that's cool. But we don't know how many people are going to buy that. And it was probably around 2003, 2004, 2005, and right up to the time where Apple put uh, open sourcing on their platform for the apps to be created that really probably is the one thing that measured the explosion of what we'll call application of online business activity that was not just from an administrative or a uh, managerial aspect for a company, but how to now say, ah, I have some customers online too. And so uh, that is when things really, I think, turned and you started to see all these different uh, entrepreneurial businesses that were really able to take advantage of um, intellectual property ownership, um, the actual uh, no middleman between you and your customer, uh, your mm -hmm. counting your own money or through the shopping carts and all this kinds of stuff really gave way uh, to probably what then was uh, the birth of what Facebook became, what uh, Google became, and it was really the embryonic stages for Amazon. And the, the, the thing that, that we would always want to impress upon people is those were entrepreneurs. 
they weren't big mm. business on day one. They weren't anywhere near like mm. the way we look at it now to where even in, in, in many cases, there are things in our society, and whether it be in government or um, uh, wherever aspect that are in deterrence of, oh, how dare you think of entrepreneurs or entrepreneurship uh, and we're really pro big business. So go get a job. Don't think so much about starting a business. And um, that's kind of like where wow. it brought us right to uh, today, to where we are in that, uh, you you know, right up to the point where we've got a pandemic that was that, I mean, we could have a conversation, everybody go around and say, name the worst scenario that you could think of that would impact business. No one would come up with anything that said almost 100% of the businesses globally have to close. You have right. to close. You can't. And in America, particularly, you have to keep your employees. And like, right. oh, my God, what? And then there is a thing that the Department of Labor did on March 16th that they waived affirmative action. And it was veiled language for the stimulus monies that were coming down is that you don't have to abide by the standard uh, rules and guidelines on how you do loans or distribute money or what you consider. So veterans, uh, women, uh, certainly all the minority groups, and even in some cases, schools and and, uh, hospitals and things like that were left out of the first tranche of the stimulus money that went on. So 90% of our constituency which is almost totally small business, and a lot of them, and the majority of them are, are minority or black business, but not all, and couldn't get couldn't get arrested on trying to get any of that money that went out. And so that was mm-hmm. what kind of uh, 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 was the catalyst to where we spoke. We got a call from a software company that said, "Hey, listen, we got a platform. We think it could help you." And that's how we kind of came up and uh, collaborated and came up with something that initially started out as the American Dream Fund, and it was the uh, place where a institutional and foundational philanthropic activities could be branded or visualized. So after the mm-hmm. pandemic. Uh, uh, occurrence, you had a um, not only a health crisis, but you had an economic crisis. And then right Right. when George Floyd hit, there was a showcasing or a vivid, stark representation of systemic racism. And then there came this thing about how does our society and all these elements integrate with the reality of life? So you had some corporations said we really want to impact uh, the communities. We want to impact uh, black communities, but we feel that's the core uh, of a life and where, where, what we have to offer. So that's where American Dream Fund was. You can go here and you can see businesses that you can choose to support or to help. Or you could just say, I just really want to ge- uh, support the general mission of facilitating. So out of that we said well we got to have more uh merchandising marketing representation tangibility for the businesses themselves the small businesses so we created uh, an outgrowth of a birth of it called the american dream marketplace 
And that's kind now, of like where we not, are today. Not to interrupt you, Charles. Yeah, so Roby was actually mentioning this, and I did have Roby tell us a little bit about the the financing end of of this new initiative because it, it sounds like you guys are actually doing some real direct financing for businesses that were affected. Can you tell us a little bit more about about that project specifically? Yeah, so um, you know there there are various activities and, and various ways we go about uh, financing. Before we even approach financing, something that we focus on is the educational component. The last thing we want to do is, you know, you know, uh, just um, give out grants and not put the businesses in a position to recover and then grow. Right. So, you know, they're they're, um, you know, not only classes, but but mentorships that, that go along with these financial resources, which I think is important to mention. Um, so yeah, uh, that said, you know some of the we've given upwards of, of six hundred thousand in in grants so far. Um, you know most of which um, was uh, from an advertising grant uh, from a music company we partnered with called AudioMac, um, and essentially they opened up some ad inventory worth twenty five thousand um, dollars. Well, it's really one hundred twenty thousand dollars a month uh, that is shared between five businesses. Um, and, th- and this community has um, 19, um, 19 million monthly active users, right? So it's like um, a very close um, competitor to Spotify, if you know that one. Um, so, so yeah, you know, with, with this ad inventory, we've been able to generate um, close to 5 million new eyeballs for our businesses. Um, and, of course, that translates to ancillary value like purchases and, you know, um, you know the, the consumer becoming part of the business's crowd, Right, becoming a supporter of the businesses and so on and so forth, um, and yeah, you know, we we have uh, we partner with a lot of organizations to to hit our goals and objectives. So you know, um, so so yeah, there's. I mean, today we, we're talking to, for example, Enricher about deploying a grant within our community, right? So so yeah, that, those that's a little bit about you know how we deploy our financial resources. Um, please, so let, so let me ask you a question about that, not to interrupt you. So is there is this is there an end goal in mind? So when you guys actually have a vision for what this initiative is going to achieve, like can you get can you paint a picture for what what we hope uh, like the people receiving these grants will benefit from five, ten, fifteen years from now? Because it does sound like there is a a component to this that very much is tied in to everything that transpired this last year with systemic racism. So. How does it all tie in and, and how do we see this all kind of working out? What's the goal? Let me, let me start on that. The yeah, uh, beginning, the genesis, the genesis on uh, why, why, what, what. So you're a business. Let's say you're a restaurant. You have to close. And even when you can resume any level of operations, they're saying you can start out at 25 percent capacity, which is not sustainable. So they immediately are being impacted, and, 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 and it's elastic. So over on the other side, you have uh, DoorDash and Grubhub saying, whoa, our database has been blown up. We don't even know who's open or alive or, and still in business or not in business. And 
we gotta we gotta do something. And how do we talk to these people? How do we find them? So with our network network of chambers, we're able to still say, hey, you know, do you know if this guy that you were doing business are they still open? Are they one? Or can we help them uh, increase? Like the most uh, restaurants, for example, were only seven percent carry out or uh, curbside pickup. And as soon as the pandemic uh, really started to, the, the smoke was clearing or the gray area becoming, those that were really surviving had jumped to 33% of uh, the type of sales that were occurring. And it was all online. It had to be, you had, so you needed a website, you needed a shopping cart, you needed uh, essentially what you thought you might be getting with a Facebook page or an Instagram post, you needed that some more and you needed a community. So on one side you had uh, service providers or people with resources that needed you as much as I wasn't really doing much online. I need a website. I need everything. And so there's a a, a huge mentoring educational component or supportive Mm -hmm. element. There's uh, I need access to capital. I don't have any money or and then there was the while where you could um, get the uh, igloos or you could partition or you could do uh, uh, retrofit yeah. your business to accommodate these new rules and regulations of the uh, COVID environment. So from there, I flip it over to Roby and I said, Roby, I got all these pieces of this puzzle. I don't know what to do with it. So I and have Roby, a Roby yeah. tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, to, to tie this back to your question, Brian, you know, we, we have all the resources, right? We have a platform to create a long-term sustainability for the black business community. That is our true mission, right? We want to facilitate an ecosystem that eventually becomes self-dependent and, you know, where the black dollar can circulate, um, you know, uh, enough to build black wealth in America. Right. Um, giving us a fighting chance. Um, so, so yeah, you know, that being said, you know, our, our focus for a very long time was on the recovery component. Um, and that's what you're hearing from Charles, right? So it, it, it has been a lot of, um, you know, uh, identifying black businesses, like who's still open, you know, who can we save, you know, from drowning and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but now that, you know, we're, as Charles said, the smoke has cleared up a little bit. It's really about, you know, connecting connecting uh, the pieces of the ecosystem, right? Making the ecosystem work, um, making sure that black businesses are interacting with each other, you know, partnering um, and, and, and growing that way, while also, you know, connecting with the corporations who want to be involved, right? Who are offering resources at, at a discount, you know? So we're able to facilitate that relationship as well. And then we're also able to provide that education, those educational resources. So yeah, uh, I hope that answers your question, Brian. Absolutely, absolutely. 100%. And so, so fellas, you, you both are successful in your own right, right? So, Roby, you're the vice president of the American Dream Fund. Charles, you, you're the vice president of um, national, the National Black Chamber of Commerce. So, this show is pretty much wants to uh, help people, right, to become successful. And we want to tap into what what has helped you become that, right? So is so if if you, either either of you could you know could could take this question, but when it comes, what where did your drive come from, and you know what what is success to you when it when it come when it on your own road to 
to get to the top. And may, may I add to that question, a compound Please. question here? And, and I find this particularly interesting with Charles because not only is he successful in his own right, but he's been in the presence of extraordinarily successful people, both from a music career end of things, but then also when he was with the Black Chamber, he would be connected to other businesses, therefore other successful people. So if you don't mind me asking, not just for yourself, but did you happen to uh, see any similarities between the wildly successful people you were dealing with throughout your career that might be of use to our listeners? Absolutely. There's there's common denominators for sure. And part of my uh, pedigree or my arrogance, if you will, for the music industry, if I wasn't working for the best, I didn't want to be in it. You know, and I, I was fortunate with a company mm. like CBS. We had Michael Jackson. We had Bruce Springsteen. We had uh, uh, Paul McCartney and Barbara Streisand. And, you know, we had these people. And not only on that one side of it where they run, it was really a corporation. It was it was a New York-based corporation where they had people being experts and they had accountants and they had Harvard doing research and other things like that. It was very sophisticated. On the other hand, when you when I swung over here and I'm working with entrepreneurs, there's small businesses out here that do a billion dollars in sales and are still small businesses. They're very well tuned. They're very focused and they the, the, the uh, attention to detail is very vital in it. So whether it is a, a contract that makes a difference or whether it's the quality of your work, but yeah. everything matters, everything goes into it. And the other thing about it is, like, like uh, on one hand, Prince got booed off the stage when he opened for the Rolling Stones. They threw trash at him. The bikers didn't understand him, didn't like him. He was ready to quit, to give up. He thought that was the worst thing ever. Mick Jagger went to him and talked to him and said, man, that, it doesn't matter. That's just what they do. And don't give up. Don't quit. And uh, there was a time in Michael Jackson's career where the Jacksons were no longer with Motown. And... Um, um, one of the brothers went off and got married to Barry Gordy's daughter, and he was leaving Jermaine. the group. That was Jermaine. And then he Jermaine. went, yeah. uh, and they were trying to figure out how, you know, the record company say, how we get these guys a hit? We know we signed. So they left Motown. They go to Epic Records, which is where I was, and they're saying, well, they give them to uh, Philadelphia International, which is Kenny Gamble, uh, uh, Gamble and Huff, and they get... They get a they get a record. I mean, a hit. But it, you know, and Michael's saying that's okay. But I know I can do better. And, and so he had done a thing called the Wiz, and the producer of that was Quincy Jones. And they get together and they said, "Well, I think I want Quincy Jones to produce my next record." And the record company is going, "What a jazz producer." You want a jazz producer? And Michael stood his ground and he said, "Listen, let us go do it and try it." And they said, "Hey, man, what do we got to lose?" And that's when he came out with the Off the Wall record, and it sold six million. And Michael uh -huh. goes, "I can do better than that." And he comes <laughs> back with uh, a Thriller, and it's probably thriller. one of the biggest successes Absolutely. of all times. And <clears throat> the, the, uh, the you know, and it's 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 still selling, but it probably went past fifty million at the time, which was ungodly. And the level of marketing and everybody coming together and the and the and knowing. 
we got something here, but we're going to get behind it like we've got nothing and push it through. Wow. And, the, and, the, and the synergy from the effort that went behind that made his next record, which was called Bad, just mm -hmm. on the momentum alone sold 20 million. And it really wasn't as promoted as heavily. Michael was going through some issues. The leadership was changing. Now, on the other hand, you have, I mean, you can take any a number of these entrepreneurs that are out here now, and, and I'm talking about on this big level. When uh, Amazon uh, or um, Elon Musk or even uh, Zuckerberg did what they did to get through that first, let's say the first billion. And really, it was 100 million. But by the time they figured that out, the centrifugal force thrust them past the billion level. Well, then they come up and say, well, I don't know. If I want an electric car, I think we have to figure out how to do a battery. We need a battery to have the car. And that research and development or that push for what somebody else didn't have yet was a major breakthrough that then now allows him to be doing uh, moon launches. I mean, sp space hey. launches and uh, right. shuttles and same with uh, uh, Richard Branson and, and other people. Well, we have that in a scaled version where one of, let's say one of our members, I won't uh, necessarily mention their name, but they started off as uh, the father of a family, a large family was a bricklayer. And they got known for being like when you really had pristine or custom work or whatever, you'd get this company. Well, that company grew on and the kids and the family took over the business or whatever. Now it's one of the largest black construction companies in America. We have another company that was uh, uh, 14 children and the dad was in the electric business. And... <laughs> And each of those kids took a turn at trying to say, I'm going to run this business and we're going to try and take it to the next level. Because dad was getting old and eventually dad passed on. <clears throat> and it tri trickled its way down to the youngest one. And the youngest one is the one that turned the corner, figured out government contracting, got in there. And their company today is doing over a billion dollars in sales uh, annually. Wow. And it, it's now, these... I'm sorry. So, so Roby, uh, I saw you nodding your head a lot. I felt like you had something you wanted to add to that. No, yeah, no. Charles is, is hitting it, um, you know, from a, a, a very core level, right? Um, some of the things he mentioned, right, is getting through that initial barrier. I, I mean, to answer your question, it, it's, it's really not going to, it's not going to happen on its own, right? I mean, we are the, the catalyst. So, um, you know, what, what has been a real driver of, of our success or of my success, um, if I could speak to that. Um, and, and, you know, because of, of, of the nature of what the work that I do, you know, it's a bit, it might be a bit easier for me, right? Because it, it hits so close to home, right? I'm helping black businesses. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, looking to bring that, you know, bring the, the, the black dollar around and, and, you know, build black wealth. So it's a little bit easier uh, to kind of, um, you know, find passion maybe, but, um, but definitely, um, you know, definitely looking, getting past that initial, initial phase and, you know, getting some momentum and building on that momentum. And I think the American dream fund and marketplace has been a testament to that. You know, we kind of uh, started with nothing, but, but a platform um, and, and, and this partnership with the national black chamber. And, and since we've been able to, um, you know, bring it to, you know, reach a hundred thousand people and, and distribute as, as we were talking about all these grants and, and so on and so forth. 
Um, but yeah, that, that, that was what's on my mind. Can I ask a, a question that is more, I guess, perhaps philosophical in nature for the, the initiatives? Um, so I, I hear terminology that I'm unfamiliar with, for example, like the black dollar, the black ecosystem, business ecosystem. So can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what that means? Because I hear that and it seems like it's almost like an economy in and of itself. As the one white guy in the room, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that actually means. And, <laughs> and then also, like, uh, is it going to be, do you view it as its own standalone economy or an economy that will surface and then fuse in with the overall economy? I don't know if that question makes sense. It made perfect sense. And, I'm, and Charles, I, I know you got a lot of ideas, so I'll be quick um, here, right? So the black dollar is not um, exclusive of the actual dollar. I mean, if we look, if we look at the data, you know, um, the, the black population is makes up a large part of the consumer population, right? So when I refer to the black dollar, it's about redirecting that a little bit, right? So that, you know, I mean, if we did spend as much as we spent outside of the community, even half of what we spent outside of the community internally, then we would be in a better position you know, to, you know, have, have, have that wealth, right? Have the ability to pass on businesses to our children and, and to their children. And, and then, you know, and, and, and so on, and, you know, it, it, and that trickles down and becomes its own thing, right? So, Absolutely. so yeah, uh, Charles, do you have anything to add then? It's, it's a case study. Uh, there's a lot of facts, a lot of data on it, and it compares by uh, cultural-based uh, analysis on uh, how money is circulated within a cultural community. And I believe that uh, a Jewish community, they're able to track $1 changing hands 17 times before they spend it outside of their culture or their community wow. or businesses that Whoa. they uh, do business with. Uh, you have an Asian community, you have the Indian community, and historically, the black community, on we, we have this tremendous uh, footprint on our spend, uh, and it, it's up there, it's in the trillions. And then, but we'll go right to a convenience store that maybe is a 7-Eleven, and, and typically they're Indian-owned or uh, part of a network, or go to a Chinese restaurant, or however, we don't necessarily go to the black barber or the uh, uh, cleaners and uh, persons going to do work on your house, uh, or the normal, a lot of little stuff that dollar gets outside of that cycling that really is economic development uh, and how it goes. So there's there's a number of studies on it, and but it's a, it's a basis. So Lately, you've probably heard about the uh, uh, place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was mm -hmm. um, uh, Black Wall Street. Uh, I think it's a Green. I, my name is my, the name Green Green Greenville Green Grant Green. But anyway, that was a, a, a model. Yeah, but it, it was a place that where they were, first time we ever had domestic bombing. They used planes to blow up these black businesses and the black community. Uh, and it was just, just in the past few weeks, they've been doing, finally doing some documentaries and things on it. But it is an example that's cycling of, so there's a black baker, there's a dressmaker, there's a, a neighborhood or a street or an area, and even a black bank that the 
people of that community did business with each other and prosperity was abounding. You know, so there's a history, a precedent of it, and there is tangible uh, observation of it as well. But that is just the basis of understanding, supporting, and, and that community in this day and age could be, uh, I mean, it's LBGT, it's uh, Pan-Asian, it's uh, women, it's Alaskan Native, it's anybody and almost everybody, and, and not to mention what's coming across the borders here now with the, as, as, as receptive as we are to integration and migration and all these other things. Everything is now being marketed, geared, uh, 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 defaulted in a, it's beyond diverse, it's a dynamic. And it's partially to blur what had been historical for many years and certain people. You know, this phrase that you probably hear now about disruption, about find out, I think Bill Gates said that you find out where people are going and get there before they do and set up shop. Yeah. And you're and it's disrupting the status quo or what we've heard. A lot of these businesses and a lot of even the success of this show has to do with the uh, ability to just do what you want to do and speak to an audience 100%. that you want to speak to. And people are saying, you know what? Yeah, I like that. You know, it's the same thing like why radio isn't radio anymore. Why the evening news isn't really about news <laughs> anymore. It's almost entertainment or political. Everything's gone about politics. So we're in a time where you can pretty much do what you want to do. And, and lo and behold, you find an audience or a customer base in it because people are saying, I want 100%. to do something different too. So awesome. I, I, as, as, we, as we wrap up here, um, Roby and Charles, you can either you can take this question. I have this is a compound question. One, what is what does success mean to you? And two, if someone listening to this show is inspired by what you both do, what advice would you give them? You know, if they want to go down this go down this road of you know, of helping people. So, yeah, uh, uh, to, to be quick, um, success, what it means to me um, right now uh, in my career is based on how much how much hard impact I'm able to have. Right. How much, you know, what make, making sure what I do on a daily basis translates to, you know, the development of of one of our partner organizations uh, or of one of the businesses who, you know, are just starting up or just coming back post covid um, and I would say, you know, to anybody who is inspired by what they have heard here, you know, to come along and join us, you know, like there is room on this mission for for everybody. Right. I mean, it, it's an all inclusive project. It, it really takes everybody to facilitate that ecosystem. Right. Everybody has a part to play. So um, please feel free to reach out um, and, and, you know, get involved or ask any questions. Um, you know, we would love to hear from the community. Thank you. How are you, Charles? Charles? I'm 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 a little bit uh, more philosophical. I'm I'm older, and I felt like I can live with my accomplishments, and I do have still have ambitions. But I'm going to base it on mental freedom and empowerment for whatever it is, however you want to do it. You 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 have the freedom, and here are. Things like what we're presenting 
And in, within our own organization, there are other communities or other things in there. I mean, it's kind of humbling for us to say, uh, for Amazon to come to us and say, hey, can you help us? <laughs> help who? Amazon? You want help? Yeah, we want to incubate and develop black businesses, particularly. That's what we're coming to you guys for, because black business, that's what we're after. And we want to create our own universe for black business within ours. But you can tell them that they we got 300 million pairs of eyes to put on their product. But you got to know how to use the mm-hmm. widget. You got to know how to program the computer. You got So they have an accelerator. So it's things like that that maybe we're a conduit. We're bridging resources, and it's 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 a uh, it's a it's kind of like Disneyland or something. You just come in and look around and pick what you want, and at the same time you can say, "Well, I don't understand it," and we have mentors or we have other people that will help you. But it, we were born out of the rubble. Businesses are closed. A bricks and mortar business can't come back to bricks and mortar. And you weren't online before, but now you got to be. Or I was online before, but now this thing's moving so fast and it's happening so much. I need to upgrade or I need more knowledge or I need more resources. That is where our value is coming in. And to have very little money to do this with and to just do it almost kind of like out of a challenge, out of a fun. Hmm. With a chamber of commerce, you're where people call for help. And they usually don't call you till the creek's rising and alligators are coming through the front door and the house is burning down. Or I got a serious problem and I need help right now. And I can't stop and say, well, would you like to talk about a membership? (laughs) We we don't necessarily do it like that. And who's got money? But, yes, there are people that have money. So to answer your question, the the value and whatever, it, it does have some um, uh, eccentric type of uh, realization, but money is being made. Don't think anything other than profit is a motivation. And boy, can you imagine how many people aren't going back to work? Have you heard how many people are quitting the jobs now because they've come up with an alternative or something that I've, I've always wanted to do this and now I'm going to try it? So it's it's a beautiful thing, and wow, we could go crazy. on and on. And I'm sorry if I you give me a microphone, I go crazy with it. But uh, we really appreciate no, you having this. This is amazing. This is amazing. One hundred percent. You were hanging out with Prince Charles. If you got something to say, I'm listening. Right. <laughs> and Michael Jackson, like this is crazy. Yeah, one of the things. One of the things you may not, you don't get from it. Those guys lived eat, breathe, and slap what they were about. You know, the, uh, Prince Prince, Prince was, I mean, we thought he was crazy, but maybe, you know, he knew. Prince would do a full-blown arena show. And I'm talking like uh, 20,000 or whatever sold out Madison Square Garden. We played Madison Square Garden seven nights in a row. We, we sold out one show, and the people in the box office said, this... 20,000 more people still in line to buy tickets. And they said, okay, well, are you available? You know, it's a little bit more premeditated, but uh, put another one up. We just blew through yeah. two more. All right, we'll load up three more, you know, and that that was the kind of thing. And, and Purple Rain did that. But um, Prince would leave that show. He would go to a club 
and do a whole nother show. Come have on. equipment and everything yeah, already set up, <laughs> and it'd be completely different material. He might have uh, Buddy Miles or uh, um, any other uh, artist come up and, and sit in with him, and it was like an old-fashioned, not quite a jam session, but it was high-level stuff. Uh, I mean, I've, I saw him with Miles Davis, uh, Buddy Miles. Um, I mean, oh, there, there, there's God. a lot. There's a lot uh, of that. But he always was working. Prince, in the beginning days when he was using a tour bus before he went to the jet, he had a little studio set up in his bus. The guy wasn't sleeping. I mean, you know, I'm friends with the security. I was I was in management at that time. And you might get a call at 4 a.m. saying, you know, I feel like some chocolate chip cookies. I need somebody to go get me some chocolate chip cookies. We're like, this guy's crazy. But you go in his room and he's got a studio set up in the hotel. He's always recording. You know, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a perfectionist. I had one. Uh, um, they, they were getting the key to the cities. This was the Jacksons after uh, the group. Michael wasn't even there, and they're getting the key to the city of Chicago. And I had on my itinerary that we were going to take them to this street fair, but the mayor was going to meet them there and present the key to the city out on this this public thing in the outdoor at a, at a carnival light and they didn't realize what the hookup was and the and and they were like no 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 we can't go dress like this we've got to change they were their own wardrobe people and they were most concerned about public imaging and that's where you get when i talk about addressing to detail it this thing was very premeditated they were very polished they were very professional and in, in the case of the jacksons their kids in the motown system having uh choreographers and uh seamstress and etiquette and all this kind of stuff to polish them so that this music that really was of a black nature could be palatable across all uh demographics and cultures that was part of the key of why motown exceeded other similar type of regional based cultural music uh, in that regard. So the the thing and in, in, in this is my soapbox. I'm gonna get on a little bit here. Don't allow society to deter your value, your value perception of education. They've made it so that we don't have music in schools anymore. We don't have uh, shop auto mechanics, home economics. They, they've really done away with vocational, uh, educational facilities. And that is where you really got hardcore life skills. We don't have that now. And if you notice, when you go out and deal with people, some people just aren't equipped. And so, yes, we're trying to get into Harvard. Or yes, or even now, a community college is a high-value uh, experience and, 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 and tangible from an academic standpoint. So don't allow the society to make you think you don't need an education. Use it to your Absolutely. advantage. Have fun with it. On that okay, note, hey, gentlemen, you. thank you so much. Appreciate it. And we invite the audience, we invite yourselves uh, to partner with us, to bring in and offer any type of idea you have. This is the place for it. Uh, it, it, it it's not about making profit, but it is about uh, a, a vitality and growth and development. So how, do, how does our audience find you? If they want to connect with you, if they want to follow your team's work, how do we find you? Um, you can find us on uh, social media. Go ahead, Charles. Well, yes, but the, uh, 
the real place to start is just to see for yourself, and that is the American Dream Marketplace. It's very similar to Instagram or Facebook. That's the low-hanging fruit and the simple thing. The NBCC, a whole number of our partners are in there. I mean, let me give you a couple of real values right now. We have a thousand scholarships to give away for the Blockchain Academy. This is where you take a six-week course the scholarship itself is valued at about $5,000. And upon completion of the six-week certificate, you have a number of different companies standing sitting there waiting to hire you or at least interview you. And these jobs start at $155,000. we got got 1,000 of those scholarships. You can go to American Dream Marketplace uh, right now and say, how do I get involved? Or just download the app to your phone and you're in. But it's very similar to Instagram. On the other hand, if if you have a business that has a product or service that appeals to an 18 to 24 year old and they're predominantly black males, uh, Roby mentioned them, it's called AudioMac, it's 19 million people in there. We're giving away a $24,000 scholarship every month to four or five businesses. Every month we're giving that away. However, we want if we're going to give you a weapon, a gun to use, we want to make sure you know how to use it. We did one test out of that 17 million. We ran something that we didn't, it was generic. We ran it for the American Dream Marketplace. We got 356,000 clicks on a banner ad. Whoa. You know, so maybe maybe we run uh, the uh, Success Fundamentals <laughs> banner ad in there and let's get <laughs> some of do. these other types of entrepreneurs <laughs> in there. You know, that's just one of them. Uh, uh, Amazon has an accelerator. Uh, Roby mentioned we got a $2 million grant we're going to load up for uh, next few weeks in July coming up. There's... Um, I mean, we just completed with the National Black Chamber of Commerce, we've just completed as of uh, today, today or yesterday, the first, um, uh, a round of $25,000 grants were given out in association with um, American Express and its coalition to back black business. There's still money out here. There's still resources. We have a partnership with uh, SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. They have a black business uh, portal that th it's free. You could come in and say, hey, I need help or I need a mentor. And they've got 7,000 people and each of them has other customers and clients that maybe, you know, we could all work together in some way. There's a lot of stuff. Go to uh, the AmericanDreamMarketplace.com and check it out. And we're here to help you. We love you. And this is a beautiful world. Thank you, guys. 100%. Thank you. Thank you. Robin. Yeah. Where can people I mean, find you? Exactly what, what Charles said. I think the American Dream Marketplace is a great place to start. But if you want to find us on social, you can um, our at is American Dream Marketplace there as well. Um, and be sure to follow the National Black Chamber, um, which you can find under that handle, the National Black Chamber on um, Facebook, Twitter um, um, and, and Instagram. Um, so, yeah, please feel free to reach out on any of those platforms. And, yeah, looking forward uh, to continuing this discussion with both you, Chris and Brian and, you know, the, the greater community. Thank you. Thank you so much, you two, for being on today. So that wraps up another episode of Success Fundamentals. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Success Fundamentals podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. 